0: Open source is an incredibly social art.
1: Open source is innovation. Like
2: open source is enabling.
0: Open source is
3: community. Open source is weird. Open source is incredibly important. Open source is hard.
1: Open source is engaging.
4: Open source is collaboration. Source is
0: like running the show. Source is ubiquitous.
1: Open source is well, my life.
3: Open source is not free.
1: Hello, my name is Ildiko. And I'm Phil. And this is the My Open Source Experience podcast, where Phil and I will talk to open source veterans, newbies, their managers, and just really anybody who is either already involved in the open source ecosystem or would like to. This podcast will be all about the individuals, their voices, and their experiences that they've been through ever since they started to think about open source or getting involved in open source.
4: Yes, we'll show the various different types of open source communities that are out there, some pluses and minuses and how to navigate them.
1: Before we dive in, let me give you some important reminders. People on the podcast participate as individuals. They do not represent any company or organization. All the thoughts and opinions are theirs. People share their stories and experiences, the way how they went through them and how they remember them, and reflect how those experiences affected their lives, influenced their decisions, and just changed maybe their careers or lives back then or ever since. Welcome to the My Open Source Experience podcast. Today's episode is a mid season one, so we prepared something a little bit unusual for you. We are bringing back all the guests from the season so far, and we are showing you topics that we haven't talked about yet. So, what are these? Today, we are covering being on the board of an open source foundation, personal and corporate goodwill, career choices in or influenced by open source, how not to fork. And last but not least, Ugly Babies. Enjoy the show. When it comes to really getting involved, I remember going to um, Portland uh, for the OpenStack Summit in 2013. That was my first overseas trip, uh, first time in the U.S. And it was a it was a big conference. I don't think I've been to a conference that size before. And the conference had the the usual conference parts in terms of, uh, you know, presentations, panel discussions, and the regular conference session things, as I learned uh, since then that this is what conferences do. And it also had something that was called Design Summit, which was um, sessions behind really big curtains. And uh, that was um, a space that was dedicated to developers and, well, not, not necessarily just developers, but anybody who was doing anything within the project teams, who was working on software, documentation, testing, whatever that that goes into um, making a project work. And uh, I remember going back there and not understanding a single thing that was going on. <laughs> um, but what I did understand is, uh, or was the team dynamics in terms of who does what in the in the project team that that I knew that I will have to get involved in because that was the the software component that my team at Ericsson uh was set to work on so it only made sense to make sure that we all do understand what's going on on the open source side and that little project team who's working on the code because everyone assumed that at some point we want to change something or fix something. And um, I did get the understanding very early on that those changes are not something that you want to do locally in your environment because if that's the only place where the fix exists then whatever happens upstream that will that will not fit together and um it is something that that just seems so trivial but when it comes to the the product lifecycle, the time to market, and all these kind of challenges of we have to fit that open source component into something that has a different timeline, it's, it's not as trivial as it looks. But at that time in Portland, the only thing that that my colleagues who were all, a few colleagues who were there and and myself, we were only tasked with tasked with to just figure out what the heck is going on. And I think we went <laughs> home and we said that we have no idea, but it was really busy. Um, that that's kind of how far we got in reality. Um, but I did have a few people in mind who were like, okay, I know who the project lead is. I know I kind of saw a few people who who seemed to be really nice to well both people in the team and people who they didn't know yet um so people who who would mentor a newcomer and mm-hmm. you just kind of figure out the environment and see who you would ask on the community's communication channels for OpenStack that was IRC. These days, more communities like to hang out on places like Matrix or Slack or you name it. Um, And it's if that's the first place where you go, like, okay, how do I even ask a question? Like, who do I talk to? What's what's going on? So I was really lucky because I could go to the conference and at least kind of starting to find the people and then... um, the next summit was in Hong Kong in the fall, um, on the Northern hemisphere. And, um, so that was half year, roughly half year between the two conferences. And within that time frame, we actually came up with, uh, with a bigger API change for a kind of a nicer way to query the data that the little project called Solometer was collecting mm-hmm. and, um. It was kind of a need that 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 people, like our product owner and some of the managers, were like, "Okay, yeah, we will need this at some point." So, um, okay, competitive and ambitious, Ildico <laughs> went and <laughs> recruited a colleague at Ericsson who um, who seemed to be really interested, also in terms of what's going on in the open source community, what what is happening with the project. Um, he was more interested in coding than I was. I was interested to some, some extent too, but I also needed someone who can really get to the bottom of it. Uh, so we get somewhere because I also realized that just proposing the feature will not get it implemented. I will have to do that myself too, if that is something that I want to achieve. So, um, I got some work friends to say that, okay, this is something that we could do. And we started to uh, um, introduce the idea um, in the community at some point, uh, kind of close to the Hong Kong summit where um, I had a half session at the, the design summit there to really talk the team through in terms of what we had in mind for that little new query API interface thing. And uh, not everybody was happy about the idea. I I gotta say that. So that was another very interesting experience. But um, we, I was told, I was the only one there from the actual uh, development and engineering team. Everybody else who came were product owners, marketing, business, all the things that that's not going to get any project implemented. So I was told that. Um, Okay, the idea itself, not bad. We may not overly hate it, but it will require a blueprint, uh, really uh, describing the idea in details, how the API will look like, what needs to be changed, what, what other components it will impact, how it will be used. So um all the questions that that went a little bit beyond than what just ericsson would use the feature for so um that's another i think um interesting and sometimes maybe counterintuitive uh but at the end of the day really useful um uh, thing within within open source communities that uh if you're proposing a new feature that's better be useful to others, too, and not just you. <laughs> so uh, the community will work with you and you will have to work with the community to figure out how to implement it in a way that will be more broadly useful. One of the,
4: That's another one of the, the counterintuitive points, though, right? Because that product team inside of Ericsson must have been thinking as you're going through all the things you're going to have to change and how you're going to have to accommodate the other users and the testing you're going to have to do. That's got a bunch of use cases that have nothing to do with what Ericsson wants to use this API for all of that extra work. I mean, the easy answer is just, well, we're just going to do this local. We'll just make this change local, but uh, that causes a problem. A few months down the road when you want to try to keep up with that upstream project and it's moving at a pace that you really can't and and hold on to those specific isolated changes that you're trying to keep just in your version so yes that's another one of those counterintuitive points it just makes sense to do this up front because in the end you're going to pay for it much more down the road
1: Based on your experience as well as looking into how other projects are doing their their governance, if you could if you could go back in time, would you do anything differently?
2: I'm not sure because every decision was right at the time that it was made, or perhaps not right, but it was the popular decision that through the same process we would have arrived given the same set of inputs. And uh, in open source especially, you do not usually end up with the best technical solution, but you end up with a solution that has the consensus between the community at the time. So given the same community, we would have probably reached the same consensus. And, uh, if you remove that constraint, I would have really liked to see OpenStack simplify itself focus on uh, newer things rather than just VMs. I think OpenStack itself was more focused on like building an ecosystem around Nova rather than really uh, keeping up to speed with the newer developments that were happening at the time. Uh, Kubernetes (laughs) (laughs) and containers and uh, It just, it felt like the ship was so heavy at the time and the consensus of the community was that we should still focus on VMs and that made it on unsteerable. So I don't think it was possible to steer it. I would have liked there to have been perhaps more people with more vision in higher leadership positions that were making a stronger case. But at the time, it was not the case.
4: You can take that experience to your next large project that you go engage in. <laughs> Seriously, I mean that's it's, it, that's that's how that's how that's used.
1: It's also interesting to to see the the different models that that the different various communities are taking on like there's there's always a lot of conversations about the benevolent dictator versus democracy and consensus and which way you should go and how that does or does not affect the technology that the particular community is working on. And I personally don't think that there is one way to do it. That's what's intriguing to me in terms of watching and not just watching, I was participating in, in participating in the OpenStack community and seeing what they've been through. I've been participating in a couple of networking focused communities and seeing what they've been going through. I don't know what your experience is in terms of um. Working or uh, interacting with the Kubernetes community because I think you mentioned that that you were engaging with them more on the governance side of things.
2: Based on a few discussions that I had, they seem to be more receptive to the idea that they are in uh, they are going to be in the same position as OpenStack in a few years from now. Uh, dwindling uh, contributors, uh, more resources being pulled perhaps those resources being reshifted from Kubernetes itself as it's growing and it's maturing into a project that is more of a an API for other services to build things on top of, which I think is what we're seeing right now with the entire Kubernetes community and also with uh, the CNCF foundation. So I think they're being more receptive to to that thought uh, they're starting to trust it more and it's it's all about trust in the end we're just we're a different community that is telling them how they should do their things uh while we are perhaps not in a very good position uh, from a contributor side because i see that uh usage of OpenStack is increasing it's being deployed in more places it's more mature, so more people are using it. It's just on the contributor side. Uh, it's less of the shiny new thing, so not as many people are working on it. Uh, that eventually happens to, to everything. like It just becomes this stable, mature piece of software, and it's just one more tool in your toolbox that you're going to use to build your next shiny thing.
1: I do have experience with the uh trying to kind of convince people not to fork. Like mm. I think I think you talked a lot about um, making the decision to choose an open source project versus a licensed proprietary one and mm. touched on the, the forking aspect too. I don't know if you have experience in terms of how to turn that one around because it's really <laughs> hard to put... Uh, dollar signs on engineering hours because you can't really predict when will be the point where the thing becomes unmaintainable because it's so costly or yeah. just really technically almost impossible because the two things just deviated too much do you have do you have experience with that
0: well i think we've probably all had experience with watching companies go down this primrose path right uh I worked at Yahoo, which was famous for taking any uh, project that it liked in the open source world, bringing it inside, putting a Y in front of it. And now it was Y Java or Y PHP or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, we were, uh, when I left still on Y Apache, whatever, 1.5. And so, um, uh, yeah in terms of shifting that it's been interesting watching my teams ability to try and shift that now um having this buffer having the the as you call it the, the grease to be able to extract features from the inside and shove them outside um it's not a thing that a lot of companies have the most companies don't have this kind of an OSPO, so they don't have this tool. But it is one of the ways in which you could start to convince internal teams that this is actually a really useful idea. Because as as soon as you start extracting some of those features and moving them outside, and then letting the team let go of owning that from the inside, uh, even if it's something as simple as like, they don't need to apply the patch every month to the new version that they're upgrading. As soon as you start to relieve that pain, all of a sudden the team starts going, oh, you mean there's another way? You mean I can just not pay this operational tax for the rest of my life? And it's it's one of the ways that you can start to change the conversation. But it requires that you have a team like mine who is not bound by the necessities of the project itself in, inside. Um, Cause you know, you have deadlines on those teams. You, you have to get things done, the customer comes first. And and those, those are realities for a business. It's, uh, we are in the unusual position of having an extra appendage that can pick some of these things up and start to move them outside, thereby starting to to change the mindset of the people inside as well. Uh, um, so that that's that's one example. Uh, you know to give specific examples we we did that with um uh, opentSDB uh, we that was one of the first projects that we did we tried to get a whole bunch of patches upstream just to alleviate the pressure on the internal team from patching a whole bunch of the work that we do in OpenStack is, trying to get fixes that we have landed inside, outside. So every time we upgrade, we do less work overall. Um, and uh, in both those situations, the team inside just didn't have the bandwidth to make it happen. In fact, the OpenStack team really wanted to make it happen, and but didn't have the bandwidth. We're overjoyed when we came along and said, yeah, we'll pick that up and move that upstream. And And the team inside could breathe a sigh of relief and focus on even more of the things that they actually cared about um yeah i could i could go on a huge long list uh down that down that path but that's at least one example of how i've been trying to change that mindset
3: and open source is weird cuz uh, you know one of the challenges with open source is that you typically believe that everything you build is gonna get used by a, a community, especially in a, like OpenStack, where a lot of stuff you, you're you building is being used by a broad community. And it's very hard to understand that the next thing you build, nobody, people might not care about. And so, so right, we definitely had this element of, well, everything OpenStack builds is gonna get big adoption and interest. And, and that, we, we got a little bit high on our own product. A little bit of hubris there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I I think that took us off mission.
1: I'm not sure that that is something that that can be avoided fully. Like who will ever tell you that their kid is not the the prettiest and smartest and funniest (laughs) of all?
3: You know, it's funny. Open source, actually, um, one of the greatest gifts you can get in open source is somebody saying your baby's ugly. That's actually, there was a, um, there's a, um, one of the t- the one of the reasons why Sousa started partnering with OpenStack is they sat down with us and they had a, your baby's ugly meeting. And they expected us to be angry and defensive. And we're just like, it's, you're right. It is. You can help us make it better or you can build your own ugly baby. It's up to you. And that <laughs> disarmed them. And they were like, Oh, okay, well, you know, you're not defensive. We'll, we'll partner with you in that. But I, you know, the, the, the number one skill that open source is very much like this, but anything is, is that you need to sit down when and listen when somebody's saying your baby's ugly, even if they're doing it like, "Oh, what a beautiful hat!" Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> you know, you you have to be attuned to hear the um, the the comment that that people aren't making too, because that's you know that's how you grow. Mm-hmm.
1: do you think that that being able to participate in a in an open source community like openstack that that it helped in terms of shaping what you're interested in trying out these different leadership roles governance roles do you think that that it was easier in a in an open source community and being able to involved in one or do you think that your career would have evolved in a more proprietary closed environment in a similar way too
2: i cannot say uh, i didn't have a strong attachment to open source before i started uh having my work be in the ecosystem but as i got more involved i started being more interested in in the open source aspect specifically rather than just the technical aspect so in openstack we have what's called the four opens so it's uh open code open design open development and open community and uh like i started developing more of the ethical interest in 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 working more in in open source communities specifically, I don't think this uh, was there to the same extent before I started getting involved, for sure.
4: As you as you look forward, um, I'm just curious: Do you th- think you'll stay doing something around open source uh, as your career progresses, or you know as you move into more governance? management type of opportunities that would would possibly be internal and not so much associated with open source would you gravitate that way if if the opportunity was there or do you think you'll stay more open source
2: i think i do want to try to stay open source but i wouldn't be opposed to a temporary uh switching of the sides just to use that as a as an opportunity to get more experience on the other side of things because my working experience is very narrow with regards to only ever having worked in an open source community. So I've not been exposed to the different way that a proprietary uh, company develops software. And uh, that might be beneficial in the long term too Go away for a couple of years, learn as much as I can, and then come back with that renewed interest and experience and uh, expertise in things that I wouldn't otherwise have had if I just stayed in this side.
1: When it comes to the uh, more of the governance part of things, uh, you mentioned that ethical responsibility and the four opens um was that kind of what made you interested in running for a technical committee seat
2: the primary thing was curiosity i guess like i wanted to challenge myself with more responsibility and i also wanted to give back by uh, helping people run the community that i am part of so It was a way for me to challenge myself learn more uh kind of try to reinvent my role and to find other avenues to create learn build and uh, work with people so that's what started it off Um, i wouldn't say that it was an interest in governance that made me start running for the technical committee. It, it's more like as I was there, I saw all of these challenges that open source projects were facing with regards to uh, dwindling contributor numbers or lack of uh, PTLs for the various projects or uh, the testing infrastructure that was broken across multiple projects and how to maintain uh, this intermingling group of uh, set of open source projects running uh, smoothly using a common set of libraries uh, organizing at the events and it's just a lot of things that i wasn't exposed to initially Uh, it feels like open source is just code and you click merge and everything's great but there's so much more behind the scenes with regards to just maintaining the infrastructure maintaining leadership uh, making a case for companies to uh, assign more people to work on OpenStack or open source communities like being that sort of advocate that tries to 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 make a case and I'm I hope I'm trying to help on that front by being here and telling how amazing how mu- how much I learned and and how it shifted my entire career so uh, Yeah, it it goes back to, like, uh, as you said, being a servant. So servant leadership and just wanting to contribute. And and these are all volunteer positions. So it's not like I'm getting more of a salary or I'm getting more power or I'm getting uh, something that is tangible. It's just my own growth and uh, my satisfaction of having helped and contributed and perhaps mentored some people who will tomorrow be in the technical committee or be the next PTL, so Keystone, or uh, wouldn't have had a career in open source otherwise, now start having it just because they they saw a friendly face and they heard some some great experiences. And uh, that's what made them stick. Mm
1: You were uh, part of the board of directors group of mm-hmm. the OpenStack foundation and that foundation became open infrastructure foundation. And that is, I assume is a completely different experience than being in the open source community and doing things in open source. So, um, how was that experience? <laughs> I, I
3: found the board really, really rewarding, um, and, and frustrating because it really had very little control and power um, for things. Um, I, it really changed my perspective on, you know, what was going on and how things were getting built, um, what the corporate interplay was. Um, and and I was a little, I was a community, there's, there's multiple types of directors for OpenStack. I was community, I was elected by the community, not appointed by, by uh, the vendor. And so, um, those of us who were community elected had a tendency to be much more engaged in what was going on in the community. I, I had a lot of respect for the corporate ones too. Um, they they it just, everybody took, had a different approach to how things were going. Um, uh, I, I joined as a, as a builder. It's my sort of the way I do things is try to build stuff. And so I was much, I, I felt like I was very invested in trying to help OpenStack build something and be successful. Um, and there were times as a at a board you could make very critical decisions about you know that enabled the the, the platforms to get built better. Um, yeah, I would I would happily go back and do that again. I, I really enjoyed a lot and learned a lot about about how how things work and how to do the governance pieces. I'd, I'd like to think I would I would make a lot of similar decisions, but maybe do it with a little bit more grace um, in in how in how we were accomplishing it. Um, yeah, I wish it was something more people could more people could have the experience. That's a it's a not easy thing to share.
1: So so this is something that you would recommend to anyone who's watching or listening that if they have the opportunity to to be on a board of of an open source project to try it.
3: I I being on a board of anything is really a significant value. I've been on on boards. I've been on a church board, I've been on a government board, I've been on an open source board now. Um, I'm on of course, Rackens board. and there's a a behavior that people um it's different, right? you you are you are you are uh, watching and monitoring, not as much doing and active. And so it's it's a different it's a different approach to how you how you you handle um, different different engagement. It, it's it's very powerful, but it it definitely forces you to step back and think about and watch how things are going while you have a fiduciary responsibility to to making sure that things are actually done right so yeah it's it's a really important responsibility from that perspective um and there's a lot of places for people who are like oh i'd love to be on a board there's actually a lot of boards that um you know will 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 happily take people who want to spend some time doing that work and and it can be thankless work it can be a lot of volunteer time You know, and it's worth it's worth doing. Open source, particularly where you're you're building a shared commodity good, is its own special type of reflection. One one, I I will I will share one thing that I learned that was really important for people to understand with open source. Um, The board's only lever is its trademark in how things are going. People don't realize that, so. In a lot of cases, there's very little you can do to control what's going on inside of the community. You can only control the vendors that are selling it using the name of the product project. And so you are the steward of the quality of that brand and how it's used. And and it's a very weird backwards control mechanism for people. And they 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 don't appreciate just how um subtle that is as a control mechanism. And so that that's I think you know, from an open source board perspective. Anybody looking at the boards should be sitting back because they'll do weird stuff, and you're like, no, it's, they have to do it that way because it's a, they're actually only able to control the brand, and that's that for people. This should be a big aha when they work because it's it, Apache is very operates very different than CNCF or Linux Foundation because the branding rules are different, and it's it's one of those things. Once you, once you watch it a little bit, you'll, you'll get an aha of like, oh, okay. I, now I understand why these projects are structured this way. And people don't think brands are important in some ways. They're the only thing that's important.
4: And it's helpful, right? I mean, that's, I, I, I like the design of open source foundations in the fact that they by definition don't have any technical oversight as to where the project goes and how right there's a charter right and there's a there's a scope of of development that's around what that foundation or that given organization wanted to, to accomplish. But beyond that, how it's actually done, it should be left to the technologists and not to the folks oh, wow. that are on the board. Um, and yeah, the board, like as you say, controls the quality of what that output looks like and as far as the trademark and how that trademark is used. Um, But also, you know, does the marketing, does the, you know, these are, you're, you're you're out there to promote the development of that activity because your organization has some kind of vested interest in that outcome, right? So providing infrastructure, providing events so that the developers can get together, providing marketing to explain to the rest of the ecosystem as to what it is you're doing. You know, that's the point of the board. It's not to direct the technical direction of the, the project
3: per se. I, I you I think you were right, but but I think that boards actually abdicate too much here. Because at the end of the day, the the brand should be making a statement of what what it believes in or what it's delivering, what it's delivering for its users. And that brand should the board should know what the brand means. Is it quality? Is it integration? Is it ease of use? Is it innovation right and and i don't think um any of the boards have done that great actually cncf does okay um i don't think open infra when i was there did as did as good a job we talked about it but we didn't do that good a job on this of setting those guideposts to then direct what the project should be and so i i think it's actually like like early on openstack at the board level set up we are a highly collaborative multi-organization no individually like a lot of that stuff was actually set mission-wise um but we were missing some things about driving like quality or you know like like there were there were components that were not established in the in at the board level and driven down be, to reinforce the brand and I, I actually think that that's a missed perception or a missed opportunity where the board could actually, if it knew the brand better, could come back and say, you know what? This action is off brand for us. We need to be a better at this or better at that. And I, I mean, I I wouldn't have understood that when I was first first going back through it. Um, and it's nice to be able to reflect and come back and, and say just how important brand and mission are to making things go.
4: I uh, I've been starting to use a set of terminology, and I'm, I'm curious to try them out on you to see how they resonate. Yeah. <laughs> um, one being, so as you as you mentioned earlier, right? Open source is the software supply chain, right? Yeah, you can see, you know, any eighty percent of any given project from or any given product from any given company. Um, you know, if you look at the lines of code, it's it's often in that in that category, and that's intellectual property that's owned by somebody else that's outside of us um, and the way that you the only way that you pay um, the only other way that you can get things to happen um, is actually through goodwill
2: and mm-hmm. the
4: term that you use but i i i, I use goodwill more specifically as a uh, financial term mm-hmm. right as you know goodwill corporate goodwill right is as defined as the difference between book value of a company and what it would be sold for if it if it was acquired Right, mm-hmm. so that's that's the term, and it's really brand is that difference. It's mm-hmm. brand. It's it's future revenues, um, and there's also such a thing as called personal goodwill, um, which is more associated with like lawyers and such when they have client lists that be, they mm-hmm. would go with that person if that if they didn't go with the acquisition and so forth. So you split the personal goodwill from the corporate goodwill, um, and I see some tremendous analogies of that um, between open source projects. Right, I mean you do the marketing you do that communications because you're building goodwill for the company mm-hmm. into those open source projects so that when you do come knocking for something uh, that you need assistance with they know who you are and they know you you stand for good things you're not a leech you know you're not you're not an adversary you're a friend right yeah. and so this it's a very social structure right and that's really what we're doing with the open source developers that are in your group they are building their personal goodwill they become an ip asset to the company, it's important to keep them because you lose access to a, net, a piece of that yeah. that that software supply chain network if you yeah. lose them. Yeah. Right. And so it's much more financial terms in talking. I'm just curious if that resonates with you because I've started to kind of roll this around yeah. in my head as a, as a way to describe this. Um, and was curious, given you you've had you face the same challenges that I have. It sounds like in, in describing this to management, yeah, um, as to how this works.
0: So, absolutely. Um, um. Well, the other term, of course, is social capital, which is a you know, financial term. Like it is somewhere in our brains, measurable, and the easiest way to talk about that is how we've had to engage in various companies that are run by, sorry, various projects that are run by various big companies. Um, we've done a bunch of work on MS Build and NuGet with Microsoft or ozone with cloudera and in both those situations you can't just waltz in and be like yo you're doing it wrong here you go here's a brilliant pr take it or leave it buddy um in both of those cases there was a we we did want to get something specific done but we knew that in both cases. Uh, features, adding, re-adding features to MS Build and building the snapshot feature in Ozone. Both of those features were large and hairy, and we knew that we were going to get ignored if we just came in and and started working on it. As a precursor to working on that, we did several months worth of working on low-hanging fruit, just coming to the table with good, positive work, and... Uh, and eventually, those communities had to acknowledge that we existed and and learn who we were and what we were about and that we weren't trying to take over the project and that we, we weren't interested in selling ozone ourselves. We weren't going to, we weren't trying to blow up the Microsoft community or whatever, like, that they could trust us, essentially. Trust. We, we built that social capital with the, the teams that were running the projects and were eventually brought into the fold and able to achieve what we were ultimately hoping to contribute to the community, um, but only because we built the social capital first. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, I haven't thought so deeply about the second part of what you said, which is, the value after you've built that personal capital the what do you call it personal brand the it's it's
4: personal goodwill it's literally it's a it's a term with the IRS yeah
0: oh oh wow. maybe i could put that on my tax returns is that worth anything is that <laughs> um, yeah but we recently had somebody on our armada team who um, because of the the nature of the armada project we had them working on Kubernetes upstream fixes and he built a brand for himself. Uh, He became known within that community uh, as somebody who knew something about Kubernetes and was good at what he did. And, and last month he left a red hat. And so, you know, we still have some of the benefit of his work, but he's not here any longer. And so we, you know we lose out on a lot of that personal goodwill that um, that you, you point to. and we haven't had a, a ton of that in our group fortunately, um, partly because I think a lot of people love the position of being able to contribute to open source and getting paid a regular salary to do it. So it, it, it's we have a compelling premise for a lot of engineers anyway but it you're right it is a uh, sort of a liability we have to put ourselves out there in the community we do need to build this positive image and uh, the risk we run is that the people that we have uh, are going to get picked up by other people and we're going to lose that asset um you know not to think of people exactly. as asset, but yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah, but they are. I mean, you're yeah. right. I mean, good good developers. You know, the whole you know, developer productivity is different, right? yeah. And pro- and developer productivity, who knows open source is 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 higher if that's the type of work that they're doing. And it, for me, it's it's back to kind of rewards and recognition, right? Recognizing that this person is building that brand and is building that value outside. If that value and connection is is important to you then reward that to keep them and if not then like you say then you're okay with them going someplace else you're still going to get some level of value because yeah. you still know somebody who's who's invested in that in that network and as long as everything stays on good terms you're you're going to reap that value even after they leave um, but that's if you want them to say then you you you, you reward it
0: you know i, I and I, uh, in some cases it's it's you know not just a, a matter of monetary reward. It's uh, some of the other intangibles that that they perceive they'll get at a different place or a different uh, broadening of their role. Or you know that there are other reasons why people move on. And I think, um, not that I've thought too deeply about this yet, but my general sense is that you have to be okay with that risk mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, that you have you have to believe that at the end of the day that all of these things are going to as long as you, as you say, you stay on good terms that you' you're letting your goodwill go out into the world, even if it's not working for you directly anymore, that it will still come back to help you in some way, shape or form down the road. Um that's kind of what I have to believe in order to continue to have a public team engaging publicly, acknowledging that a whole bunch of my, uh, you know, all my team is really good at what they do and that, that people can see that publicly, it's a risk that we have to take. And uh, on the flip side, you know, we may lose people because of that. But on the flip side, we're, we're hopefully being able to attract more people uh, to the company overall because of the good work that we're doing. So it's, it's, I feel like there must be a balance like that that is at the end of the day in our best interest. In my personal
4: experience, I, I would say that, you know, the vast majority of developers that I meet, they just want to be treated right. You know, they're mm-hmm. not after the the, the rapid paycheck. They're, they're, they're different. You know, they want to create cool stuff that 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 works and, and other people can use, and they want to work with smart people. And working in open source, like you said, gets them that ability. Um, so, yeah, I, I haven't yeah. found a lot of people. You were, and you're right. I mean, it's always going to be the case that people move on. There's always going to be somebody who yeah. wants to try something different, and you know, and that's good. That's 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 goodness. But I, I don't find it to be that big of a risk. I guess is what I'm saying. And if, you're, if you tell me your attrition rates are horrid in your team, no. then I go, maybe I'm wrong, but I no, would they're, expect they're, that that's not the case.
0: They're incredibly low, actually. Uh, we, we've anticipated way more natural attrition than we have. And I, I would chalk that up to the fact that, as you say, people like to do good work that other people can use. And that's the thing that a lot of developers are missing in their corporate jobs where they're writing code that will never see the light of day and they're unhappy because of that. And as a result, our attrition has been low because of that.
1: And with that, that's all folks. That was our episode for today. I really hope that you enjoyed the show. This season is full of very interesting topics like open source in academia, mentorship programs, how you design and develop infrastructure in a project together with thousands of people, and a really interesting one, money in open source. Stay tuned because the next episode is just around the corner.
0: You know that that was my
3: first experience. Oh, I loved it. Uh, Y'all had had me telling stories that I haven't
2: even thought about. Thank you so much for having me here. It was a pleasure. Like I will have coffee with the two of you any day for the rest of my life. Like. (laughs)